guest is back again, Verlicia Thomas. She was such a hit with my audience that I have predetermined questions because they wanted to hear more about what she was speaking about. So we're going to have her elaborate on some things. Hi, Verlicia. How are you? Hello. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. And I'm glad to be back. I'm glad you're back too. I miss you. I was thinking I sure wish I was in the same city and state as some people, and you're <laughs> one of them. I had so much fun. It's like I had been knowing you all my life. That is awesome. I'm so glad to hear that. I would prefer to be in a city and state that you are in because I'm in Iowa, and it can be a okay. little boring and slow-paced here. So <laughs> I forgot about those tumbleweeds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you enjoy watching corn grow, come on over. <laughs> okay. So... Think about Memphis. Tell your husband. There's lots of okay. opportunities here. When you finish your uh, degree, mm -hmm. um, you think about Memphis. We're going to hold you open arms. I'm going to start sending you all some events and everything and what's awesome. happening in Memphis. It's yeah. very good stuff happening here. I'm but down for, for it. What did you say? I'm down for it. Yay! Mm -hmm. <laughs> you have a babysitter, too. <laughs> <laughs> You guys can have some uh, uh, couple time. <laughs> that Listen, all the time, whenever we can. Yeah, I have a family here because I only had my brother that mm -hmm. was here and now it's just me. Oh, so yeah. I got to do fun for me. I love connecting with new people yes. and making new friends because sometimes for me, I traveled all over mm -hmm. and I uh, have friends who are like family right yeah, because my family yeah. has often their own families and then I didn't mm -hmm. have because I retired I was telling you I retired early at 48 and mm -hmm. then I was very uh frugal with my money mm -hmm. so I wasn't darting around here and there but I did spend a lot mm -hmm. of time with my family but everybody has their things going on you know how that goes yeah so yeah. I need somebody right here with me for real I get it I get it you know yep okay so we're gonna dive in let me tell the audience, go do a refresher on Verlicia Thomas. It was an amazing episode. We had so much fun that we didn't get into the meat of a lot of things. We touched upon it. <laughs> <laughs> so this time we're getting into the meat of it because the audience told me I wanted to hear her elaborate. So I'm going to do a refresher on that, but you all need to go back and find out her credentials and all that. I'm not going back over that. Her It is Verlicia Thomas, episode one. This is part two. Mm -hmm. Okay. So now everyone enjoyed your podcast last time. The feedback was the audience wanted to discuss further. Childhood maturation stops at the time of experiencing adverse childhood events should mm -hmm. i name them all off what they wanted to hear or do one at a time um we can start with one at a time okay so they wanted to hear more about childhood maturation stops at the time of experiencing adverse childhood events or traumas mm -hmm. but they're called aces in psychology and mm -hmm. i like substituting words today i like where society is going we mm -hmm. learn to talk about things when there are less blows to us and we can discuss them in manners that we aren't triggered. That's the key, quote unquote. That's what everybody's using today, triggered. Mm -hmm. uh, I mm -hmm. actually feel like triggers are emotions. And I've been discussing this with a doctor in psychology and he feels mm -hmm. like I do. I was writing my book and I wanted to say this these things, but I didn't have the degrees behind me and I wasn't going to take on the psychology world mm -hmm. with no degrees behind my name, but him, he's mm -hmm. taking them on. And so I can truly say that 
our emotions are important. And he says it. He said, we have to deal with our emotions in order to move ahead and advance from our traumas. So I like that. So today we're going to finish with childhood maturation stops at the time of experiencing adverse childhood events or ACEs or traumas or abuse or whatever you want to call it. And we're going to ask, I'm going to ask you to elaborate on that because you mentioned that last time. Yeah. Well, let me start by saying I I missed the word in there. Right. So yeah, the childhood maturation for sure, but it's, it's more of the emotional maturation, right? You are going to continue to grow and uh, like physically grow. Um, your brain will continue to take in new information. You will continue to, um, you know, be able to process information. So it doesn't stop necessarily um, in, in like your physical growth or your mental capacity, but it can stop with your emotional capacity, right? Okay. And so that's, that's I did want to clear that up because I, I um, missed that part. And that's a very important piece, right? Um, And that's probably where I was going with that. So what I mean by that is when uh, uh, an adverse uh, experience happens to us, this can also be in your adult life too, but in childhood, those are your pivotal years and those are your formative years. And so a lot of your growth and your development happens in your childhood years, right? And so um, when an adverse event happens and you're not able to truly process that or, or the event keeps on happening. So if we talk about something like uh, physical abuse, if it keeps on happening over and over and over again, um, you're not able to process that. Your brain um, will, will start to engage your, your amygdala, which is, which is the fight or flight, you know, and fight, flight or freeze, right? And so um, when that is engaged all the time and you're in a place where you have to constantly figure out if you're going to fight or freeze or, or, or flee, um, you're not able to emotionally process what's going on. Your first, um, your first important thing to do is to make sure that you're safe and to protect yourself in that moment. Um, and so when you kind of get stuck in that place, you, you kind of go back to like the word you were talking about was triggered. Um, so you kind of get stuck in that place um, emotionally and um, it's, it's hard to grow from that time if you're not able to process and heal from that that thing that happened to you, right? So, so then you, you, you grow up and you may be 20 years old and you're like, oh my gosh, like, I really don't like the smell of Old Spice. Like, it really bothers me. I can't stand Old Spice. It makes me feel some kind of way. And you haven't done any uh, work to figure out what, is, why don't you like the smell of Old Spice, right? Sometimes you just don't like a smell. But in other times, it could be something to where like, well, the person who abused you as a child used to wear Old Spice, and every time you smell that, something triggers in your brain, we're unsafe. We don't like that smell. We don't like what we're seeing. We don't like what's happening. Um, and so it brings you back to that moment. And that's what the trigger, that's what that word, that buzzword of trigger and what we constantly hear with triggering. Um, that's what that is. It's triggering your emotion or it's triggering a sense inside of you that says, um, we're not safe. Something's wrong. It's bringing you back to that very moment of trauma. Right. And so that is what um, I meant by like emotional maturation kind of can be stunted here, because what what ends up happening is um, we, we, we've stopped growing. We've stopped being able to grow past that situation um, because we haven't dealt with it. Right. You have to deal with it. You can't um, you can't usually just plow your way through trauma. And when you try to do that, a lot of times you'll see that it's going to keep popping back up in various places of your lives. Um, and so when when you grow up and you're, you're trying to figure out why you struggle with emotional um, connection or, or intimacy, uh, whether that has to do with like romantic intimacy or just intimacy with people, and we start to see that we struggle in areas that other people are may not be struggling in or or things like that. That's a lot of times uh, a key um, identifier of, hey, there might be some unresolved stuff going on right there. Um, and so people, you know, I, I think it's kind of funny because people use trauma, the word trauma and trauma response and trigger so much that it's almost just overly saturated. Um 
and and it and it gets to the place where you're like, oh, I'm tired of hearing that word. But it, it, when you're using it properly, and you're really talking about this in a therapeutic, um, a, a therapeutic mindset and a therapeutic um, relationship with the therapist or whatever, those words really they they have meaning to them, and they're not meant to be cliche. They're not meant to be. Um, overly saturated and overly used or or used wrongly, um, you know, and things like that. They're, they're real things. Trauma is a real thing and a trauma response is a real thing. Um, and so, yeah, yes. that's what I meant by like okay. emotional, emotional maturation and being stunted. It's just, it's that difficulty with getting past that trauma that happened to you. Um, and, and, and a lot of times, you know, people will say, um, you know, the little girl in me or the little boy in me that that it's speaking almost to that that trauma that has happened or something that has happened there that the little girl or the little boy in you is not healed from things that have happened. So if you were um, sexually abused at the age of eight and, you know, and some of your um, understanding or your ability to process things emotionally kind of stop around the developmental stage of eight years old. Um, that that's that can be a telltale sign that's that that's that little boy or that little girl in you um who who is there still that that hasn't really been able to grow up with you um it it all stopped right there when that happened because we didn't know what to do after that our body kept growing our mind kept growing but our spirit stopped growing and we got stuck wonderful now were you at the stopping point because i don't want to stop absolutely Okay, that's have, fine. Okay, great. I have a um, personal experience. In the 11th grade, I had a violent episode happen to me. Mm-hmm. And since I'm 11 years old, and also growing up in the household I grew up in, it was a lot of domestic violence, right? And I mm-hmm. never looked to the future. And I love this Dr. Bob Beer. Mm-hmm. I, I've asked him to be on my show and he said he would. Mm-hmm. He is a psychiatrist. He's a doctor. Mm-hmm. He has mm-hmm. his PhD psychiatry mm-hmm. and he's been doing it for 25 years. And what he told me is that these events are so important for us to deal with emotionally. Mm-hmm. And I was so impressed with him and what he, he has a book out, by the way, I like to plug him. Dr. Bob Beer, who has a PhD, has a book out, Stop Doing You Don't Want to Do. Mm. And he said some people took offense to him cursing. Mm -hmm. And he said, some people said they didn't understand. A couple of people gave him a one and a two star rating, but Mm. he's overall five star rating. And this book came out the end of last month or the first part of this month. And it's a bestseller already. This is his fourth. Awesome. Mm-hmm. This is his fourth bestseller. Seller. He mm-hmm. read my book, by the way, and gave me a five star. So I oh, love awesome. <laughs> but um, he talked about how not dealing with the emotions and how like we get angry when we're children being asked, what are you going to be when you grow up? Because I'm in the se- in the second grade and I'm being asked this question that mm-hmm. I have no idea about. So he validates a lot of my emotional states that I've mm-hmm. gone through in life. And it feels so good having a professional do that for you. Mm-hmm. And it feels mm-hmm. so good talking with you as a professional telling me why, explain to me why after these events, I could not think like everyone else. And I always mm-hmm. felt out of place. I was always very brilliant, but I never thought future. I never mm-hmm. wanted children. I never mm-hmm. saw the picket fence, you know, the mm-hmm. White House, the picket fence and the mm-hmm. dog, the, the, the husband and the three kids. Mm-hmm. My sisters asked me, what are you going to name your kids? And they were having these conversations and I was frowning up. And at that age, <laughs> <laughs> At that age, but they didn't know why they were tell, asking me these questions right after that traumatizing event. Yeah. And I didn't understand because I thought, why would I want children and a husband if this is what it's about? Mm. I was looking at my father mm-hmm. and my mom's relationship. Mm-hmm. And I had I didn't have 
an open mind, my maturation had stopped emotionally. Mm-hmm. And that is why I do this podcast. That is mm-hmm. why I'm bringing you in. That's why I'm bringing people in to tell their stories that couldn't articulate them. Yeah. Because after I wrote my book, it all became clear. Mm-hmm. And you can notice I have a different excitement in me. If my audience that has been listening to me all along, they can feel this different aura around me. At least I feel it because I was meek and mild about what I was doing and unsure. I had a book signing, my first book signing Saturday, mm-hmm. the 23rd. It was so well received mm. that I was walking into the event. I'm with 12 authors. 52 vendors were there. She invited 62, 50, look, only 52 showed up. Wow. (laughs) 52 Mm. vendors, 12 authors. I'm walking into the event and I see the host. She calls out my name and she has a friend with her. And I said to the friend, will you carry this up to the table? And will you guys show me where the author's tables are? And they took Mm -hmm. me up there. She turned it over, which is a big, poster board of my cover you know how you have your book cover oh wow yeah so yeah. she turns it over Valicia you know what she did what she do started crying and threw her hands out and said okay I'm done with it then wow I'm healed from the title of my book we are not our secrets wow that's powerful people can't comprehend how much energy I have right now I sold out that's amazing she started me like that. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of conversation surrounding it, but my childhood maturation stopped. And so by me right. writing my book, which freed me of all of that, I have the podcast. I have experts on like yourself, because I want to explain it because people are wondering, why do you have experts on? Because we as adults telling our childhood experiences, those of us who have not been healed need you guys. We need you to help us finish our healing process because that leads me to the next question that we've discussed is there's levels to healing. And that's what they wanted to know more about also. Um, You know, and that's the thing about uh, spreading it out. Now I'm like, what was I talking about? However, in general, I do believe there are levels to healing. Um, and I, and I believe what I was talking about was just how there's different, um, you know, different times in your life where you heal from different things. Um, but it doesn't mean like you may be completely healed. You know what I mean? So, um, there's, there's like multiple things that have happened to me in my life. Um, so I'll, I'll use myself as an example. And Um, then hold on one second and I'll reiterate and, and refresh your memory so you can include this when you start talking about it. You said that my children, and they were very interested in that. You said my children, through mm-hmm. our children, we can uh, continue our ah, healing or I yes. see various things. So yeah. whatever you Thank do, you. include that in that also. Thank you. That helps because I was trying to figure out what I was talking about last time that, that spike, sparked that conversation. Okay. All right. Um, yeah. So the, the healing um, that takes place at different levels for myself, I will say. I didn't start, truly start my healing journey until I was 30 and I'm 32 now. I think uh, the some of the healing that I had already gone through and experienced in my life, um, that happened, I think, through my, my faith journey um, and then also um, going to school to be a social worker and having to uh, learn curriculum that I would have to use and practice as a social worker, right? And so obviously you reading this stuff, you're going to be the first one affected by it. I'm sitting here reading about stuff and I'm like, ooh, oh, that happened to me or oh, okay, oh, not they writing about me in the textbook, okay. Um, so, you know, I was the first one that would would be affected by the things that I was learning, right? And so I kind of had a healing by way of that. I, I've So some of the things that I I would say I had to heal from from the beginning was uh, being molested by at the age of, of nine years old by a, a young girl who was just a couple years older than me. Mm-hmm. Um, that was level one. I had to I, I had that going on. And then I had um, I, I had an alcoholic father. Um, I have a mo- my mother has schizophrenia. Um, so I was mm-hmm. in a, a household where if I was doing um, the if I was doing the survey for the the 
early um the early ACEs study. So if I was doing the adverse childhood experiences study, I would, I would have checked all the boxes. Um, I had a, a parent who had a mental health um, condition. I had a father who was an alcoholic. Um, I was molested at the age of nine. My father died when I was 16. Um, and I had to deal with that as well. Um, and so there was just a lot of things that I had to heal from um, just before the age of 18. Right. And so I had gone through some of that when I was in college and, and I was like, yeah, this, you know, I feel like I feel good. I feel like I've healed from things. I feel like I've forgiven my father and I've forgiven the girl who did that to me. And I'm just moseying on through life, right? Getting married. I'm having kids. My, I got these twin babies. Life's good. I'm a social worker. And my kid, my daughter hits five years old and wham, it was like I hit a brick wall. Right. And mm-hmm. so now I'm in therapy trying to figure out what the world wrong with me and why I'm struggling to connect with my five-year-old daughter. It took me in therapy to realize that that is where some, some things have happened to me in my life. And, and in your, there, there are, there are times in your young childhood life. Um, there are certain ages where if certain things happen to you throughout those ages, they can greatly affect you. They're called your formative years, Right. Mm-hmm. And this is the this is the part of your life. So like from the ages of three to six and then seven to 10 and then 10 to like 14, like there are different stages in your life that there are natural things that are developing. So as an infant, um, you did you did you know that as an infant, you're learning trust? Wow. Right. So this, this is the things that are happening. You don't even know you're learning trust. Right. If I That's cry, why I never trusted no one. <laughs> it could be it because could, it started at three it and a half for me. Yes, it starts at very, those early ages of zero to three. You're learning trust. You're learning how to get your needs met. So I know that as as babies, when there is a need, the only way that a baby can communicate is crying. Right. Now hold That's that how, thought again. I'm going to reiterate that for me, mm-hmm. for the audience, mm-hmm. for this podcast, from zero to three. It's yeah. when you learn trust. You're learning trust. Lord, have mercy. You're because learning trust. I've got to say it really quickly. At three and a half, I sat in a circle talking about how to kill my dad. Mm. So continue. But I'm just yeah. saying, mm-hmm. trust, no wonder in relationships, but you're helping millions of people out there and myself understand mm. this. People wonder, why do you talk about these things? In each episode, we learn new nuggets of information yeah. Yeah. and we learn how to heal. We, we hear what our body's responses are. We hear, mm-hmm. we, we hear from uh, many hours of research mm-hmm. what the formative years are. Zero mm-hmm. to three, it's a period we learn trust. Okay, mm-hmm. continue. Yeah. Yeah. So you're learning trust from the ages of, of, and I have to go back. I haven't read uh, this part of my textbook in a little while, but I believe it's uh, zero to three. And then you have like three to six years old is a different thing that you're learning or, or starting to understand, but zero to three, you're learning this this trust. And it starts with um, just as a baby, when you cry, um, there is a need that you have. And it's your only way of communicating when mom or dad comes and picks you up and fulfills that need. You are learning trust. Like you're learning that this is how I can get my need met. This is how I communicate. As you get older, your parents begin to teach you how to communicate. Yes. No mom, dad. And then you start learning more words. Can I have, or I don't want, or I don't like, or yes, I like, like you start adding more words and this is how we form our communication. Right. Um, and so, but, but still at those young ages, you don't even still know how to communicate your need. Mom and dad are just supposed to kind of know, right. You're supposed to just kind of know what your child needs. I know when my child is, is cranky and rubbing their eyes at the age of, of two years old and they can't, they can't get right. Can't sit still. Don't know what's going on. I know my baby needs a nap. I know that I've learned you. I've, I've paid attention to you. I've studied you. Right. Um, and you can trust that mom's going to know what you need. Right. And so um, you're learning all that stuff at, at an age you don't even understand you're learning it. Your brain is just doing it. That's what's happening. It's, it's teaching you how to trust. Right. And if you let a baby cry for so long, 
they will eventually stop crying. Because they've already learned that this need is probably not going to get met. They may fall asleep. They may just give up. And then you're teaching that baby how to self-soothe. And then you're going to have a whole nother slew of issues later. However. I have to interject there because yeah. I am so enamored with this. I'm like, oh my God, there's so much to this. <laughs> yeah. Because we were told in our raising of children. Mm-hmm. You're going to spoil them if you pick them up. Mm-hmm. And when they cry mm-hmm. and they are teaching, just let them sit there and cry. Mm-hmm. What happens? Is that a bad or good thing when they cry? Is there um, is there a right or a wrong way? On well, that? I don't you know, I, I wouldn't say that I'm an expert in parenting. I have uh, two seven year old twins. Um, they are still alive. They are healthy. They are well. <laughs> so I guess I did something right. Um, <laughs> however, um, I was always, I was also taught that, um, that you don't have to pick the baby up and that you can spoil a baby. Um, I later learned, you can't spoil a baby. You can't spoil it. You can't spoil a baby. They can't even talk. <laughs> like babies Jesus. have needs. Babies we have are, needs. Listen, I know the audience is gasping like me. <laughs> We are in such a need for this. We need you. We need education. We need to relearn. If we have been carrying on generational cycles, because we do what we're taught, what we see. Mm -hmm. And then when you do studies and research and statistics behind it, which Mm -hmm. that's what you guys do. You guys are a massive wealth of statistics and research mm-hmm. which is a great thing mm-hmm. because if 99.9 percent of the people do this and get these results mm-hmm. then you want to know that yeah because what if 99.9 percent do that and get it right we definitely want to know that mm-hmm. we have all those statistics that we use i'm writing a new book by the way a guide how to prevent mm. generational cycles within families mm. And that's my next book. I started on it. Sounds good. And it's because of this. Mm -hmm. We don't know. (laughs) You don't know what you don't know. We have no clue. And Mm. we got manuals, how to drive. We got uh, information on everything. But why then within our families that's passed down generational cycles that we are having hard times with our children, but we don't want the input of households that work. Or Mm -hmm. statistics that work. Or Mm -hmm. children that go on to be very adjusted. Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't we want to get that information? It doesn't mean I have to pattern exactly after them. But if I can retrieve Mm -hmm. some information from productive people, why not? So that's why I said a guide. Yeah. We need that desperately. This is all new information for me. I wonder if it's new for the audience. I hope that they will leave comments and and leave questions and comments down there and let us know if that's what's going on because then that will help my show know what we need, what we Mm -hmm. need to elaborate on. And then if they leave enough questions or have enough questions or comments, we could have you back, you know, things like that. Because right now, as far as you and I are going over, we're finishing what we think. Right. So we only have that. We can't, we can only do what we know too. But exactly. this information that you're bringing out is so valuable. I love it. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I, like I said, I, uh, I'm no expert. I don't, I don't say that I'm an expert for parenting, uh, but I have, I have two kids um, and, and I've learned that you cannot spoil um, a baby. Now what you can do, you can cause your baby to have a uh, uh, different attachment style by neglecting the needs, right? You can you can cause your baby to grow up, and and then what you what you deem as attention seeking behavior or or constantly needing stuff and calling your child needy and 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 just wants the attention all the time, perhaps they weren't getting any. So behind every attention-seeking child is probably a child who has not been seen. 
or has been a visible. Like the middle children, they say. A lot. A lot of times I've heard the same thing that a lot of times middle children are kind of the ones that are invisible and um, are forgotten, but also are the ones that kind of hold everything together. Oh, okay. Yeah. I have so much to learn. Yeah, there's a lot of different things, but yeah, and 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 you know, back to the 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 comment about you know children and, and trusting and things like that. Um, these these are the like I said, these are the formative years. So then, when you grow up and you're 25 and 30 years old, and you know you're you're trying to figure out again that difficulty with emotional connection and emotional attachment to people, or or um, you know uh, struggling with um, being able to, to process your own trauma, um, or, or not even knowing that it's, that it's based in trauma, maybe even just like something is off, you know, um, a lot of that stuff can start in your, in your, your just little ages, small child, the ones you can't even remember. I don't, at 32 years old, I don't re I don't remember three years old much anymore. Um, I think as when I was younger, I could, and I, it's fading now, but I don't really remember uh, the three, the three, the year, the year three for me, I don't really remember that anymore. Um, so, you know, some of that stuff you can't even remember, but I tell you in therapy, well, as let, somebody let me say this, yeah, this is what's very important. Mm -hmm. If some, if it, if an ACE happened to you, you remember it. You can't, yes. Trauma it can be, uh, now I'll, I'll... you remember it vividly. Let me say these, a couple of sentences. You mm -hmm. remember it vividly. And mm -hmm. I have a guest um, her name is Vizerant. Mm -hmm. She's on my show. She remembers from seven months old mm. when something adverse happens to you. Mm -hmm. I'm speaking from experience. Mine mm -hmm. was three and a half, very vivid. Mm -hmm. Uh, someone I was talking to today, she's going to be on my show later. She said my earliest remembrance. She started at three. Now, guess what? Vizerant has done studies because she was seven months old. So she's went deeper into reading about those psychological mm -hmm. patterns. And she said that children remember in the womb. There's his, there's statistics and studies done about that. Yep. Mm -hmm. So here we know for a fact, from my experience and her experience, if an adverse experience happens to you, it, sets your mind to that event and you remember it very distinctly absolutely i definitely think um that can be true for a lot of people yeah and so if nothing happened to you in those formative years it won't stand out because your memory is just starting yeah i yeah. I, I can i can agree with that but i also the caveat is that there are people who have had extensive trauma um, that has happened to them and they can no longer remember it. And that comes, that can come yes. with suppression, suppressing those, having to move on, having to keep going. Um, and then, and then through certain um, means, it can be too many triggers, things that are triggering you that starts making you have flashbacks, um, night terrors, um, but also um, even like certain types of therapy can help you go back to those times that you try to avoid in your mind and your brain is trying to protect you and say we, we don't want to think about this this scares us this causes us anxiety so we push it down but all the while your body is keeping the score your body remembers um, even if your mind can't remember your body will remember and that's why triggers happen you don't know why the world you don't like the smell of old spice you haven't been able to pinpoint what the world, why I don't like Old Spice. I can't stand Old Spice until you start thinking about it again. And you start processing like, oh, wow. Yeah. The abuser used to wear Old Spice. Right. It triggers me every time. Your body remembered because every time you smelled it, it was like, oh, shoot. Well, I don't like that smell. Get back. Like, I don't like that. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then and then you start to remember, oh, yeah. He used to wear Old Spice. You go back far enough and you start thinking about it enough. You'd be like, oh, yeah, I, I can remember. I even remember how he stood over me. I remember his breath on my neck. Like, I, re you start to remember all of it. Triggers are just your body trying to remind you something here is not safe. Something here is bothering us. Something here we don't like. And, and that's why they're there. And I agree with 
um, Dr. Dr. Bob Beer, you said, I agree. I very much agree with the statement that you have to deal with these emotions because they will come up. They're part of your life and they're part of your body. They're part of your mind for a reason. You yes, have them for a reason. Absolutely. And when you don't, you have um, things that emotionally stunt you. Mm -hmm. Your maturation needs to be addressed at some point. Mm -hmm. Because what happens is, which is like you said, your emotions. So they need to be addressed because when you don't address it, what are you going to do? You're going to go into a relationship that you cannot love sufficiently. Mm -hmm. You're going to be holding back because in my case, I never allowed anybody in because mm -hmm. from zero to three, I was developing trust, which I had none because mm -hmm. my father was very abusive to everyone. Mm -hmm. So if I can't trust my father, mm -hmm. where's the trust? Yeah. So I can't have a loving relationship because I learned as I grew older, the way that your relationships are formed are based on usually when it's a woman or a girl, it's based on your relationship with your father. Absolutely. So that if is I had have no a relationship place. with my father, <laughs> if I had no relationship with my father, what do you think that's going to turn out to be? <laughs> mm -hmm. It's going to be a complete mess. And that's what it was in my book. It's a complete mess. And that's how I live my life. But guess what? I'm having the show because I don't want other people to go through what I went through, mm -hmm. even though I had, there's a lot of things that were great as a result of that. We all should put guards up, but at some point I never let the guard down. Mm -hmm. So therefore I didn't have the children. I didn't have the husband. I didn't have the picket fence. I didn't have the loving relationships that can be had because I was always struggling and fighting for trust. Yeah. yeah. And it makes sense that you're saying this. Every time I talk to someone that's a professional, I learn something more that I know that others can relate to that went through similar things. Decisions. You gotta make a choice. You gotta make decisions. All the ones that Thank you so much for um, elaborating on those important points because mm -hmm. the audience really wanted you to elaborate more. I hope that that answers their questions, but I have a personal question now mm -hmm. from our last conversation. And it was about the guy, we discussed the young man who um, had unalive ideation. Mm -hmm. Was he embarrassed over his drug use or was he influenced by social media's expectation of him that drove him to consider his unalive ideation? Does that make sense? What I just said? Does yeah. Okay. You know, honestly, I, I would have to say, I don't know for sure, but here's could've what I combination. It could have been. And, and what I do know is that when you're dealing with um, any individual who is struggling with an addiction, addictions usually are covering up some kind of trauma mm -hmm. it is a it is a way of self-medicating to ease some pain that is usually emotional so it's hard to say that social media or um external uh situations are the driving cause for unalive ideation um, I would, I would, I would argue that it is probably something far more deeper than that, and some unresolved trauma, uh, unresolved that has not been dealt with. I didn't get a chance to go into depth with that young man about his his childhood and what it was like growing up. Unfortunately, I didn't get to get all that information from him. But I'm willing to bet my last dollar. If I was a betting woman, I would bet it all that it has something to do with a broken relationship from his childhood, broken trust from his childhood, harm from his childhood, something was the driving force for the addiction. And that addiction can just exacerbate any and everything. So if you have depression and you are trying to self-medicate with, a, with a, um, a drug or whatever, 
you can self addictions can be sexual they can be gambling they can be drugs they can be all kind of things when you are trying to self-medicate those things um that drug of your choice um will exacerbate any mental health condition you already have and there's a there's a term called co-occurring um, or dual diagnosis. So co-occurring just means that you have two things happening at the same time, a drug addiction and a mental illness, co-occurring disorder, right? Or you have dual dual diagnosis, which means that you have a diagnosis of a substance abuse disorder, and then you also have a mental health disorder. And those two things together, a lot of times can go hand in hand. And that is a lot of times because you're trying to self-medicate something that may have to do with your mental with your mental health, um, or you have now, um, you have now acquired a mental health condition because of your substance use. That is amazing. You, let me say this, the health care field mm -hmm. is going to be so happy with you because <laughs> you are so knowledgeable. Your the way you explain things is similar I think to me, you mm -hmm. can help laymen understand extremely um, technical or scientific or hard terms. Yeah. Because you laid it out and then explained it so eloquently. And that's an art. That's a that's craft. And you have it. And I love Thank that's you. why I like having you on the show. You put me at ease to ask these questions. Absolutely. To say what I want to say. And and some people don't, they're so smart that they don't know how to change to layman terms. Absolutely. And it's not bad. It's just that I can't keep up sometimes when you're not in that world. I didn't yeah. go to school for psychology. Mm -hmm. Right? I yeah. can learn it because guess what's so ironic? I have a friend of mine that went to um, the university I won't name it since of what I did, right? <laughs> I wrote his psychology papers and I got A pluses. And, and this is master's program, not bachelor. This class was told to pattern after my paper. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so mm. <laughs> I've always been able, I've had an ability mm -hmm. to know what instructors want. Um, my family picked up this I'm thinking from my father mm -hmm. he was a chemical engineer at the mm. arsenal he invented bombs mm. and so he understood uh very technical and very um uh mathematical and chemistry physics all that's involved right when you're creating uh bombs I mm -hmm. mean you have to know uh, physics, you have to know mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. math, you have, yep. to, you have to know quantities, and you have to know some physics, mm -hmm. uh, perhaps some geometry, I'm not sure. But in any event, you've got to know all of this stuff. So he's a very intelligent man. So I think that part of our ability to pick up and process and then put it on a common uh, term was be the combination of both of them. My mom had a lot of common sense. She had eighth grade education and my dad had all these smarts. Mm -hmm. But my mom knew how, my mom was the one who fixed up the house. I mean, uh, as far as repair things yeah. around the house. She would call my father, it's a funny term. He's just hachi bachi. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what that means. But <laughs> I understood it when she said it. Right. But she just thought, you know, she wanted to do things right around the house. He didn't have an interest in that. And she would take care of painting. She taught us how to paint. I used wow. to go with her to the furniture stores. And, uh, you know, and she hired our carpenter to add mm -hmm. on to our house. Oh, I mean, wow. she did all that. Mm -hmm. So we have this yin and the yang, I call yeah. it. <laughs> and there's but, nothing um, wrong with that. I don't think there's But that's what that. you have. It's the ability to take these technical scientific terms and your studies and present it to the layman everybody doesn't have that ability so yeah I well thank you for that. thank you i honestly you know i think that's one of the the biggest um 
barriers to I think I I I can speak to what I know. I feel like so in the healthcare field, we see uh, disproportionate numbers of the amount of people of color who go to um, the doctor just for checkups and stuff. And I think there could be a lot of reasons for that. Um, I think one of those reasons is one, there's a lot of mistrust um, and distrust uh, with with the the medical field and the in the healthcare field. Um, I think that's one of the reasons why people do not go and get themselves uh, checked on uh, when when things ain't going well. Um, two, I, I think you also have the the obvious of um, insurance, healthcare. How much this gonna cost? Why well, I gotta go there just for them to tell me they don't know what's wrong with me? You know, and things like that. Now I think there's very there's a lot of times a lot of truth to that. But another thing that I think can be very overwhelming for people is to go to a doctor who has just told you that you have something that you don't really know what it is. And they just keep throwing these big terms and these big words out here at you without helping you really explain, like, let me break it down to you what's really going on. I love I, my my faith. I, I ascribe to the Christian faith. I love our sacred text. The Bible says, um, in all that getting, get an understanding. And it's probably one of my favorite scriptures um, because I think it, it, it just... It works for every facet of life and all that getting, get an understanding. If you do not know, you now are not able to do any better because you don't know better. So you know how long you can get stuck um, in a mindset or a situation or um, stuck in whatever just because you don't know. So back to that emotional maturation that's stunted. I literally don't know, so I can't even do no better. And same with with our health, you know, um, our mental health or our physical health. If I don't know better, I can't do better. So when you sit and you use these big words and you want to uh, flex your degree and how long you've been in school and all the vocab you got, um, that's 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 awesome. Save that for the TED talk. But but right now, I need you to break it down for me so I know what the world is going on. And that's yes. why I take so much time to to help people really understand things that sound really flashy and they sound really big and they sound really important. But at the end of the day, I need you to be able to understand that what I'm telling you is that your sugar is too high. You 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 got to change your diet, you know, because here comes diabetes. That's all I'm saying. Or mm-hmm. I need you to understand that something bad happened to you at an age that you probably barely remember and that is why you are struggling in this area of your life and I gotta break it down to you so that you can understand because if you can't understand I can't really expect you to change anything absolutely there was um, a quote that is controversial as to if he said it which was Einstein and Mm -hmm. I almost used it as my epigraph to my book Mm-hmm. which was if you can't explain it to a six-year-old you probably don't know it yourself <laughs> <laughs> because I was letting people know I'm not trying to be flashy I'm trying to get some important points yes across to everyone yes. Mm-hmm. I can always for myself for example I was in computers uh, IT that's what I retired from the first year of me being recruited, I was a corporate manager accountant Mm -hmm. and I dealt with a lot of computer uh, glitches. And so I would call the computer department to handle what I had going on. And she would tell me what to do and I would do it. And then one time she said, okay, that's not gonna work over the phone. I'm gonna send you this disc and you follow the process. Mm-hmm. So every time I would call, she said, I never called on the same issue. It was always different. So she recruited me for IT because I thought, I don't know nothing about IT. She said, but you understand the questions. She said, the people I have that are in IT don't understand the questions. And I can teach you the IT part. Mm-hmm. I said, oh, okay. So I was recruited by them because she saw that I had an ability for computers right Mm -hmm. well I excelled Mm. and I 
flew by and I work with programmers who we would work together to repair and pull up and fix offices that went down. Oh, I, mean, wow. I, I ended up leaving the help desk where I, where I was recruited mm -hmm. and going into uh, a specialized department and end up being called an wow. intermediate programmer. I won't take oh, that title wow. because I did a small amount of coding. Mm -hmm. I don't, I'm not taking that title, but <laughs> the whole thing is what I would do is what we're talking about now. I knew the language. It took mm -hmm. me a year to understand. It took me six months to understand a couple of the words they were saying. Mm -hmm. I almost quit. Then in a year, I began to understand some of the words they were saying. Mm -hmm. And that's the learning curve for computers, for yeah. our specialized computers. Mm -hmm. And then it continued and built from there. But I was able to go over in my department because my our department was the document department. So I, I would go over to the programmers and I could speak programming language, meaning if they could describe whatever was going on, I understood that. But I could go back and put it in layman terms for my department. Mm, yeah. And they would look at me and I didn't think that I was doing anything special until they would say, how do you do this? And they said, <laughs> you must have got this from your father. They were just in awe. And I don't know why, <laughs> but, you know, mm -hmm. it's just that you have that ability. It's innate. And I think you have that. And that's a gift to have mm -hmm. because especially in what we're doing in mental health field, mm -hmm. everyone has mental health issues. Mm -hmm. So you, and, and that's what I say in my guide. I want to reach everyone. I You shouldn't have to have a master's degree to understand what's wrong with you. Yeah. 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 And I, and we need to reach everyone because the majority of people do not have master's degrees and do not specialize in the mental health field. Right. Right. So we need to know how to speak with them and you do a very good job of that. I commend you for well, that. Thank I you. appreciate that. Relisha, do you have any last words? Yeah. I was just trying to circle back. Um, to that that point I was driving at um about therapy and and um how when I had got married and I had kids everything was going good and then when I got to about year five for my daughter I just felt like I was struggling to connect emotionally with her and I couldn't figure out why and it took a lot of deep um internal work um and 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 a lot of therapy to figure out that something had happened to me when I was five and it's not necessarily a a uh, monumental event that happened I wouldn't call this an ace I wouldn't call it an adverse childhood experience like in the point that it was super traumatic but what was happening was in those uh, formative years probably between uh, three and six um, I was at a place where my mother was not able to emotionally meet my needs and as a child, now my mom has schizophrenia, so I give so much grace as my mom was trying to parent with a mental illness and who had a, a husband who was an alcoholic and who was barely present emotionally to do anything <clears throat> um, and things like that. So my mother was juggling a lot. I have so much grace for her, so much admiration for her and how um, she would will herself to do a whole lot of things um, that I've, I haven't seen a lot of other um, parents that have schizophrenia are able to do. Um, so, so I just commend my mother for what she was able to do. But one thing that I think there was a disconnect between us because I had a need that she was not able to fulfill. Um, and I don't think that my mother had, uh, the, um, I guess I would say like a high enough level of emotional intelligence to know that, my daughter needs something from me that I'm not able to give. It takes a, a lot of attunement with your own self and you have to know yourself well to be able to tell yourself the truth about what you're not able to give your child. Right. And so um, I needed and wanted a lot of affection and attention from my mother. And that's something that my mother was not able to do. My mother was, was a hard knock woman. So she, you know, she just was kind of like, Hey, 
I, I, I'm making sure that you got a, a shelter over you. You got clothes on your back. You got shoes on your feet. There's food in your belly. I am doing the things that a mother has to do. Um, and there wasn't a lot of time for um, affection and and play and um, and just, you know, meeting that emotional need that I had. And so here I was, <clears throat> you know, my children were, were five, I was 30. So here I was at 30 years old trying to figure out why I couldn't connect with my five-year-old daughter who was me. And I felt like my daughter was so different. I'm like, no, she, she needs so much attention. She needs so, she needs so much. She's, she's real needy. Like she, she just needs a lot. You know, she's, she's super high energy and blah, blah, blah. And all this stuff I was saying, and I was like, she's so opposite of me. I'm so down, down the earth. I'm cool. I'm chill. You know, I don't need a lot. And I kept saying I was so different. I was so different. And it took my therapist to listen to me when I told her about how I was as a child. And she said, Relisha, do you not understand that you're describing your daughter to a T? She was like, she's you. And so I was facing my own five-year-old self and my daughter. And I was at a crossroads of what are you going to do, Relisha? Are you going to be your mom and just be like, I don't got it to give, girl. You better be happy with what I got. (laughs) Or are you going to see that there is a need that you're not able to meet? And do something about it in yourself. It's just a deficit. I can't give emotional and affectionate love to my daughter if I never got it. I don't know what it looks like and I don't know how to get it. I don't know how to give it. How am I How am I going to do and give something to you that I don't have or I never got at that age? I don't know what it looks like to receive love and affection and and emotional tenderness from my mother Mm. so how can i as a mother give it to my daughter i've never seen it i don't even know what it feels like to the point where i was so deprived of affection and emotional tenderness that to this day if you do that toward me i cringe (laughs) like i don't even know how to receive it even though it's something that i deeply want and i deeply desire i don't know how to receive it yet i'm getting better but I don't know yes. how to receive it even. So I have a, so I'm sitting there at 30 years old. I've hit a wall. I'm like, wow, my daughter is me. And it makes you look at your children so much differently when you look into the eyes of who you are not. Wow. And who you How did could you build, be. how did you uh, bridge that gap? If I can ask you that. Absolutely. Or have you? I'm continuing. I'm continuing. Honestly, it takes a whole lot of intentionality. It takes mindfulness. And I think that's really it. I have all the tools that I need. I can't say I don't have the tools. I know. I think a lot of it becomes, do you know that there is something lacking in you that your daughter needs from you? So how will you get that to her? So what I'm hearing is the first step is acknowledgement. So it's not so much as you not being able to give it, but to acknowledge that you don't have it to give so that then you can seek help. So you can figure out what's next. Like, okay, I don't have this. It's not something that I'm like, okay, I don't have this. So oops. It's more of, I don't have this, but I can get it. I can figure it out. I'm smart. I'm in the mental health field. I know too much, (laughs) you know? Um, and I know that this is an irreparable damage. I know that this is this is um, something that I have the skill set to build inside of me. Mindfulness reminds me that when my daughter asks me for a hug, when I not am not really in the mood for a hug, or this is an interesting time you asking for a hug, mindfulness says stop. She needs you. What is but she you're... asking for? Even but though your, she's asking for a hug. But your body and your autonomous state says you don't really connect with it. You're reacting mm-hmm. based on her. Absolutely. Your innate abilities. Wow. And and then I had to take it a step further because in the beginning it was. It was give her what she needs. But then it was like I'm giving her what she needs, but there's no emotional connection to it. Now I have to engage my emotional side. So, you know, it's not hard if you go back and you deal with the little five-year-old girl and what she needed. I, I needed love. It. I needed affection. So 
I have, I know how to give it. I know how to give it. But to a five-year-old, I'm like, oh, child, shoot. I, mm, I ain't never got it. So what did I need? <laughs> I needed yes. a hug. I needed a hug whenever I wanted. I needed to just be able to lay across the bed with my mom and talk. I needed to just know that she was always there and I didn't have to. I didn't have to get in her schedule because that's how I, that's the difference between me and my mom. I have a rigid schedule. I am busy all the time and I need my daughter to know that mom is always here. No matter the need, you need a hug. I got a hug. You need a kiss. I got a kiss. You need time. I got time. Even if I don't, I have to make it. To me, you have just explained preventing generational cycles absolutely families absolutely. and i'm gonna say it again to me you have just described preventing generational cycles within families because if we can learn to um neglect to not show emotion affection love we can also learn we can relearn Absolutely. and develop skills. Absolutely. By first acknowledging what we don't have. You got it. I love you. You got it. And that's and it's okay that you may have deficits. There it's okay that I didn't get that. I didn't get that. Your mama, your daddy might be gone in their grave now. Like you didn't get it. We can't cry over that no more. There's a time and a place to do it, but you can't withhold that from your children because you didn't get it, especially when you know and you have the ability to get those tools and put them in your tool belt. I love it. Did you have any final words before we close out? I don't. I just wanted to circle back to that and make sure I drove that point home because I knew I left it in the open and I felt like somebody in the audience might be like, wait, you didn't... <laughs> You didn't finish that thought. So I wanted to make sure I did that. And you know what? That was perfect because that leads, all of this that I'm doing leads to that moment that you're saying, those moments. Mm -hmm. I have this podcast and people say, I don't want to keep reliving that. But if you do, you find these nuggets. Mm -hmm. You find the answers. Mm -hmm. You find what you don't know. Yeah, and if you if it's hard to keep reliving it, I would tell anybody to examine your wound. I have scars all over my body because I was a wild child. They don't hurt anymore. They've healed. Mm. But I if they it. didn't heal, they probably still a little tender. So it might be some more work that got to be done right there. Now, guess what? Being in the profession the girl before you prior to you Mm -hmm. in the episode before you her name is Kim Mm -hmm. and she's going to be on the podcast before you so Mm -hmm. you actually are following up to her wise words that I want to say that I learned from her which Mm -hmm. was and she said because we ended up crying she's one of you and her are the few people that that well all of the professionals get me into this place where I'm vulnerable. I'm not going to say triggered. I'll say vulnerable mm-hmm. because it opens up my emotions. Yeah. And that's a good thing. And yeah. she told me this, when I have these emotions, people call them triggers. Mm-hmm. I don't like using the word triggers because mm-hmm. it makes me think that I can't deal with it. Cause that's right. how they're from what I'm hearing today. Yeah. They're saying I'm triggered. That means that, you need to not talk about that anymore. Right. But she, you know what, you know what she told me? What was Because that? I triggered her when loosely losing that word, right? Mm-hmm. She says this though. She says, because we both started crying over some things we were talking about. And mm-hmm. she said, the reason that she said, because I am crying over that this, that means I need to go back and explore that more. Mm-hmm. She said, that's an area I need to heal in more. She said, because now I've done all the work in all these areas. And that area that we're talking about has gotten me to be more vulnerable. And she did the same thing with me. Mm -hmm. You make me vulnerable. I'm going to use that word vulnerable. Mm -hmm. I like that better Mm -hmm. because 
I'm not triggered. I am dealing with my emotions. Absolutely. Something happened to me and I don't need to say it didn't. Mm -hmm. I need to say that happened to me. And how do I move forward from that? Mm -hmm. And that's why I love my podcast. I used to not talk like this. I used to have low self-esteem. Mm. I used to be insecure about my message. Giving my first book signing and the lady who looked at my sign when she flipped it over said, I'm done with it. Mm. I'm healed. And started crying mm. off of just my title. We are in need of healing. Not only in the United States, but globally. Yeah. And if we take moments out of our lives to address our emotions, not our triggers, our emotions, it will lead us to a place of healing. I am confident of yeah. that. Yeah. And so I thank you, Alicia, for being on my podcast. I thank you for your wisdom, your knowledge, for being able to explain extremely hard terms to most people in layman's terms so that we can understand. And you know what I especially appreciate? Your ability to intertwine your personal experiences into the equation. Mm. And that's what we need more of. We don't need to run from our feelings. We don't need to say continuously, I'm triggered and run out of the room. I couldn't say the word rape in a space that I was in. Mm. I don't think that's fair. So what we need to do in this society, and I'm just a little old person, so I'm not going to be preachy. So I'm going to change that word, what we need to do, what I want us to do, Mm -hmm. because I'm just this little old person trying to give a voice to the voiceless, trying to address unaddressed subjects, trying to address topics that we run from, trying to heal where we cannot be healed, trying to see that as we speak, every nine minutes a child is sexually assaulted in this country, 93% of the time by someone they know. But we can't Mm. talk about it. Mm. There's 460,000 missing children in the United States yearly. But we can't talk about it. This abuses are happening. The adverse events are happening. But those of us as adults who are getting over our adverse experiences are busy fixing ourselves that we can't see that every second, every minute, every nine minutes, a child Mm. is being harmed. I don't mean for you to shout your aces to the world. All I'm saying is, Let's be aware so that when you see your child displaying maybe these traits that you can have these conversations. I'll end it here. I thank you so much, Verlicia. And you are a gem, a jewel. Mm -hmm. I thank my audience for listening. And I hope that we have made a difference in your life. I'm JJ. Thank you for listening to We Are Not Our Secrets and have a great day.